Hi friends, this is Matt Olson and I'm in Colorado on a beautiful spring day and we're entering into our Easter week which is a pretty exciting time for believers all around the world. For our family, this is even more special this year. In the last, less, actually less than four years, we've lost four family members. Lost my mom, lost my nephew, lost my father-in-law, and then I lost my dad. And that brings death and life, eternal life, and a lot of those thoughts very close to home. You know, when you hear about people dying around the world and in China and Italy and in Spain and the U.S. and maybe even in another neighborhood, uh, you feel some of the pain, but you don't feel it like you do when it's a family member. And I think that for many of us, death and eternal life has come very close to home. And so what I'd like to do today is share a little bit with you that I feel can give hope and encouragement during this time from God's Word. When you think about eternal life and you think about dying, which is inevitable for all of us, it's, it's not something we're familiar with and it causes a little bit of fear to strike in our hearts. If I were to ask you this question, if you were to die today, and I know you're not planning on it, but if that happened, do you know for sure that you would have eternal life? Or do you think that's something you're still working on? One of the most exciting things that we find from God's Word, the Bible, is that God tells us we can know that we have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5 tells us these things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. And I think it can probably be a little better understood if I had a follow-up question with you and ask this. If you were to stand before God, you passed away, you stood before God, and he were to say to you, why should I allow you into my heaven? What would you say? What's the first response that comes to your mind? What do you think you would say? I want you to hold that in your mind for just a little bit, what you would say, your first response. I've been sharing this story many, many times and I'll hear typical things like, well, I hope he would let me in or I've, well, I've tried to do my best. I've, I hope my good works outweigh my bad works. I've gone to church. I've been baptized. There are many, many reasons that people will give. And so that brings me to this, that I've got, to me, it's the greatest news you could ever hear, is that heaven is a free gift. Don't ever forget that. Heaven is a free gift. You don't earn it and you don't deserve it. In the book of Romans it says the gift of eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2 it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The thing is, with the world religions today and almost every, every other system other than the, the biblical system or the way God tells us, is some sort of system of works, of things you do. But God's plan is about something He did for you. And that's the most important thing to understand. A gift is what eternal life is. So if I were to go buy a, a gift for you, an expensive gift that I knew that you would really love, and I wrapped it all up and I came to your door and knocked on it and I said, here's a gift I have for you. You wouldn't try to pay for it. It was already paid for. And it would almost be an insult. It would be an insult to try to pay for it. But 
for you to have the gift, you must first receive the gift. And that's what we need to understand about eternal life, about heaven, about going to heaven, is heaven is a free gift that's not earned or deserved. And I think it comes into a little clearer focus when we understand what God says about humanity, about us, about us as people. And I think that you probably know this because you observe it, but we're sinners. We're sinners, and we cannot save ourselves. When you say, well, what is a sin? And I think most of us have a conscious enough to realize that what a sin is. But a sin, is, is God defines it, is any thought or word or action that displeases him. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, God kind of lays out the standard of what he expects out of us when he says, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And so there's that perfect standard which none of us will ever achieve. And, you know, I'd like to think that I don't sin a whole lot. I mean, I can, I can look around my neighborhood and think there's people worse than I am, and you can always find that. So I don't think of myself as a really big sinner, and you may not. But if you start adding it up over a lifetime, it's a lot of sinning. And all of us have sinned, for all have sinned and come short of God's glory. Let's say that I really worked on it and stepped up my game, and I, I, I got it down to where I'm only sinning three times a day. Now, for me, that's not going to happen because if you count your mind, your words, or your actions, I've never had a day like that. But let's say on my very best day, I only sin three times. Well, you, you extrapolate that out over time. Over a year, you have over a thousand sins. 20 years, 20,000 sins. And over a lifetime, 70,000 sins. That's a lot to be accountable for. When you think about uh, that, that type of sinfulness, you say, well, but you know what? I think I've got more good works than I have bad works. So God's going to stand up there with a scale. And uh, I kind of liken it to this. If I were to invite you over to sit out here on my back porch and, and we're going to have breakfast and, and we're going to make an omelet. And I love making omelets. You put all the best ingredients in there and I decide, you know what? I need a little more egg in there just to uh, feed everybody and so I crack open that egg and I drop it in the omelet and I realize right when I drop it in there The egg is rotten. It's rotten and you can smell it What does it do to that omelet? Well, it it destroys the omelet. It, it completely permeates everything in the omelet It's like what James said in his uh, epistle. He said if you offend in one point you're guilty of all in other words if there's one sin it, it, it infects everything so even the best of us on our best day still come back to the fact that we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. So that's how you see the need for this to be a gift rather than something I achieve or do because no amount of achievement, no amount of good works, no amount of religi religiosity will accomplish that. And I think we understand it better when we, we see what God is like, God's nature, because this is a relationship with with God. And when you think of God, what, what comes to your mind? Do you think uh, uh, certain words or attributes of God that come to your mind? The first, the first one that I think of is love. God is love. John tells us that. God is love. It's his very nature to love. And he makes it all, all through the scriptures very clear that he loves you and he wants you to be with him in heaven for eternity. That is, that is abundantly clear. 
But there's another part of God too. God is also holy and just and righteous and pure, and he cannot tolerate sin in his presence. So think about that. God loves you, wants you to come to heaven, but he's holy and just, and because you're a sinner permeated with sin, you can't come into his presence, and it creates an incredible tension. God is good, but God is also just. I think sometimes we, we struggle with God being just, but let's, let's assume, a, uh, or just picture a, a guy goes and robs a bank, and he, he's got the cash in hand, he gets caught, uh, they got him on videotape, there are witnesses that have watched him do this, and uh, he comes before the judge and he says, judge, please don't, don't put me in jail. I'll never do it again. And the judge says, all right, you can go free. Well, what would you think about that judge? He's not just. And God is this way. He is loving and kind and gracious and wants you in heaven. He is holy and just. And, and these are part of who he is. So what that does is create an incredible tension incredible tension. I think you can sense that and feel that. God wants you in heaven. He loves you, but he cannot have that uh, sin in his presence. And so God solves the problem. God solves the problem. And that's what Easter is all about. And God sends his son, his only son, into this world. And, and Jesus comes into this world and who he is, is he is the infinite God-man. He is God come in flesh. John chapter 1 tells us that, 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 uh, that he, is, he is God in flesh before our very eyes. And he is also man. So he, he comes in to this world, humbles himself. He lives a perfect life. And then he goes to the cross and he dies on the cross to pay for and to atone for your sin and my sin. That's an incredible thought. When I deserve to die for my sin, because death is the consequence of sin, the wages of sin is death, it says in Romans chapter uh, 6. But you think, how can he substitute? He, because he's the perfect lamb that takes my place and dies on the cross for my sins. Then he rose again from the dead, and here's the key, he offers to me eternal life. He offers it to me as a free gift. So Jesus comes, lives a perfect life, substitutionary death on the cross, dies, rises again. He does two things. One, he conquers sin. In his crucifixion, he, he just obliterates sin. And then he rises up from the dead. He conquers death. So sin and death, the two enemies that you and I have never been able to defeat, and we still battle within this world today, uh, he is able to destroy, which is great news. I, I kind of like telling the story. It's like a, it's like a book. If, I, if you were, this is a, just a diary type book, but uh, if you were to say this book is the story of your life, and uh, you open up in the front, and it has your birth certificate, it has your name, your full given name, it has the date, it has the name of the hospital you were born in, and then in the back, you have your death certificate. And same thing, place of death and name, your full name, the date that it took place, and, and that's your life, that's your life. It's kind of the dash between the two dates on a tombstone. So if you could picture it this way with me, here, here you are, 
and here God is. And, and God loves you, and he created you, he loves you, he wants you to be in heaven, he wants relationship with you. But there's a problem that all of the sin, all of the sins that you've ever committed stand between you and God. And so while God loves you, he hates your sin. While God wants you in heaven, he must punish and destroy the sin if he's a just God. So that's the tension. And so what he did is that God sent his son into this world, the perfect life. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, took upon himself all of your sin, all of it. Isaiah the prophet said that like a lamb, he, he bore our iniquity. He took upon himself all of our sins. And what an amazing thing. But then what happened after that is that God then poured out all of his justice, his wrath, his holy indignation against his own son. And that's why when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The pain was so great as God turned his face away because his son, his only son, had become sin. And God's wrath poured out on that, satisfied his justice. So Jesus did two things. He, he communicated God's love by coming and dying, and he communicated God's justice by atoning for all sin. So he was buried three days he rose again, and immediately for us, he offers to us eternal life. He has just conquered sin. He has just conquered death. He offers us eternal life. And after a short period of time, he ascended up to be with his father again. And the next great event is him coming back again to bring us to heaven forever, which is the hope that we have at Easter. The resurrection is the very central part of, of this incredible, incredible story. So to me, when, when I, I think of that, you mean all I have to do is trust in Jesus? Jesus has done this. He took upon himself, paid the price, now offers to you the free gift of eternal life. And, and it's very pointed, very clear in scripture that this offer is made to everyone. Uh, the scriptures tell us, for God so loved the world, that means you, that means me, that means everyone, that he gave his only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, in other words, receives that gift, will not perish, but have everlasting life. So, how do I receive that? How do I, how do I personally make this my own? Because Christianity is not designed to be a religion. It's designed to be a relationship. So you ask, how can I receive this relationship with Jesus Christ? And the key word is faith. It's faith. And it's, it's the key that unlocks the door. It's the key that opens up your heart to receive Christ. Now, this faith is not just an, an intellectual assent, uh, because James tells us that the devils also believe uh, and tremble. Satan himself he trembles. He, he has a, an, an intellectual knowledge of God. It's not a faith like, well, I, uh, I hope the sun will come up or I hope we'll have good weather or uh, things like that. It, it, is a, it is a transfer of your trust, of putting your faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation and eternal life. And that's what God wants you to be able to do, to, to act in faith. 
you know, <clears throat> probably one of the, the great illustrations and my camera doesn't really have, it's not real broad here, but um, when, I, when I liken it to a transfer of trust, I'm sitting in a chair and when I came out here, I trusted this chair would hold me up. In fact, I didn't think a whole lot about it. <laughs> but when I, when I become a Christian, put my faith and trust in Jesus, it is a transfer of trust. Now I have another chair that's right next to me here. And I can say, you know what, this chair will hold me up. I believe it'll hold me up. Um, I look at the four legs, I look at the seat, I look at the back, everything intellectually is there, I believe in it. Uh, that's an intellectual assent uh, to belief. But real faith, real trust, is when I get up out of my chair, which is my self-dependence, my way of doing things, my way. And this is, this is really the whole concept and idea of repentance, is, is turning from my sin and my trust in self to Jesus and putting my faith and trust in him. So this is what I do. Is I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I take that action and receive him as my personal savior. And that's, that's so simply done. But doesn't it make sense that a God who loves you and wants everyone to be saved would make it so simple and so clear that even a child could understand. I think sometimes the older we get, the more we want to complicate it. But that's how simple it is. Heaven is a free gift. It's not earned or deserved. You are a sinner. You cannot save yourself. God is loving and kind and gracious and wants to bring you to heaven, but he's holy and just and cannot have sin in his presence. He solves the problem by sending his son to this earth to die in your place he was buried, he paid for our sin, he rose again, now he offers you eternal life. Would you like to receive that gift of eternal life? And <clears throat> I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Uh, I'm sitting on my back porch <laughs> in uh, Colorado. I don't know where you are or when you're gonna listen to this, but right now you can pray a simple prayer and it doesn't need to be these exact words, it's the heart that matters. But a simple prayer like this, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I know you love me and you sent your son to die for me. And he did and he took on my sin and he rose again and he offers to me eternal life. As best as I can, God, I repent of my sin. I put my trust in you, in Jesus, to be my savior. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you meant that and did that, it's not your great faith, it's our great God that accomplishes it. Just remember that. It's not that you had this marvelous prayer or marvelous faith. It's what God will always do what he says he will do. If you prayed that, then I'd like to respond by saying this to you. Welcome to the family of God. <laughs> Praise his name for the gift of eternal life. In John chapter six, it says, those who believe have eternal life. And I can show you promises throughout all of scripture that will continue to confirm that. So what you can do now is begin reading your Bible, learning to pray. Uh, we have, have social distancing during uh, coronavirus time, but uh, you build relationships with other believers to help encourage you. You become part of a, a church. But if you would like for some personal 
help with this, uh, you can message me, write to me, respond. And if you know a friend who you think would benefit by hearing this, or this could encourage them, or, or help them share with someone else, or help them just work through the conversation on eternal life, then my prayer is that you'll share this with them. So, four, four family members in less than four years. And you may have times like that as well, but there, there is hope for eternal life. And when I can say, I know I have eternal life, and you can say, now if you prayed that prayer, I know I have eternal life, it is not a statement of arrogance. It is not a statement of pride. It is a statement of thanksgiving and confidence and that God will do what he said he will do. My prayer is that these words will be an encouragement and a blessing to you if you are a Christian, if you just became a Christian, or if you're sharing with someone else. God bless you.